1: This episode is made possible by Nextiva, the official communications partner of the Pac-12 and the best business phone service as chosen by everybody in the world including U.S. News and World Report. Nextiva helps companies all over the Pac-12 country stay connected with customers and coworkers. Using one easy-to-use app, get Nextiva for your business and get business phone service, video conferencing, team chat, call reporting, and more. All for the fraction of what you would pay for those services separately. Make great calls every day, like a boss. Visit nextiva.com forward 12-pack, nextiva.com forward slash 12-pack to get started. Oh, South you be sour
0: clap for your world famous two time champs and feel the power it's a new game. yes it is for 12 pack radio get excited y'all
1: welcome back everyone to 12 pack radio your podcast source for pack 12 football news the home at the BetaRank College Football Statistical Model, and you're home for Pac-12 gambling advice with Mr. Max Meyer from William Hill. This is Brian Conger. Thank you for joining us. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at 12 Radio, Sharp College Football. We'll have Rob give out all the, all the names, all the Twitter handles. Um, and you can, of course, subscribe to the podcast for free on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn Radio. You name it, we are there. And our apologies, our apologies. We did not have a show last week, and um, and that is because I... Um, I'm an entrepreneur now. I started my own job, my own company, and uh, and so there's been a lot of stuff going on. But thanks to our friends at Nextiva, we are we're gonna make it up to you. We're gonna make it up to you. We have a lot of content to cover, including some uh, some news out of the beta Inc. umbrella here. Rob, what's going on in your end? How are you?
0: So with uh, I'm good. I'm good with the uh, the you know national signing day <clears throat> coming in and um, you know recruiting numbers really for the most part being finalized. Um, And then Bill Connolly had his returning production numbers out. I'm sure those will get updated at some point. And so um, there may be further updates, but my expectation is that sometime tomorrow I should have the beta rank projections out. So tomorrow would be, you know, Tuesday the ninth. Yeah. I should have the, the beta rank projections out. Um, If not, I mean, I might push it if Connolly puts his, you know, SP plus projections projections out, but yeah, I should have those out. They will not have, I don't have a schedule file yet, so it won't have the expected, you know, totals. Um, but I will have, you know, order, finish, expected offense, defense, all that fun. Uh, should have it out there.
1: That is amazing. That is the full rankings for the 2020, was it 2021? Yeah, 2021 season. 2021, yeah. <laughs> I was looking at, a, you know, obviously we had signing day and I was looking um just up the names and all of a sudden it was 2022 and my mind just exploded. I'm like, I don't even know where I am. I don't know what's going on anymore. Um, but yeah, full beta rank uh, projections. For 2021, uh, you can get them at sharpcollegefootball.com. And, uh, and we will have – so, th- I mean, just think of the directions that we can go in terms of uh, just continuing to talk about the Pac-12, where your team is, where your defense is compared to other teams, compared to other conferences. So just a lot of really good stuff there, up.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited. Like it's going to be uh, – it's, it's a little bit different. Like normally I, I try to keep it really fresh and only have like one year's worth of, you know, like uh, prior beta rank in there. Um, but twenty twenty was weird, so I should have two years <laughs> this time around.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, like I'm so excited to get back to normal football breaking down thereof therein Uh, because uh, like we we had done the one week where we were going through teams and then, you know, it came out that BYU hadn't been or Navy hadn't been practicing tackling for like nine months. And I'm like, I don't even know what to do. The good thing was over time, it seemed like football kind of started to get into a groove. And uh, the problem was the PAC 12 started late. And by the time a lot of teams were starting to hit their stride, the season was over. So um, it'll be really fun to get back into a full season on the road, teams playing each other, a lot of uh, the non-conference, you know, matchups which help dictate, you know, where conferences and teams are relative to other teams in the Pac-12 and, and throughout the conference. And I have a question to start for you, Rob, and that comes to how your, um, not just your rankings, but how rankings in general are taking into account transfers, because that seems to be kind of a, a blind spot with, with the numbers right now. And I don't quite um, I, I just don't quite know how to handle. I think for our podcast, like, we'll know who the transfers are. So when we're talking about teams and their rosters and impact players and stuff, internally we'll know that, and we'll be able to merge that in and um, how we, we talk about the numbers. You know, like, for example, if uh, Gunnar Cruz ends up being the quarterback for Arizona, let's pretend he's awesome. Um, we'll, we'll know that. The, the model might not know that, but our podcast will, which will be good. But h- how is the transfer market impacting projections?
0: I mean, this year, it's going to be a weird one. Um, Like we had, it's been the the recruiting rankings and the the ranking services still haven't caught up with, you would argue, where the market is. Um, And then this year in particular, because of the additional, you know, basically the uh, eligibility holiday that happened this year, um, as well as really the expectation that the NCAA is going to pretty liberally grant out uh, waivers to transfers for this year. I mean, if you look at the transfer market, I mean, I think Texas State may have signed one high school player and as, as many as 23 transfers. Um, you know, and you look, at, yeah, I know, like they're they're the outlier there. Um, but if you even if you look at the Pac-12, I mean, you, you can see a a lot of smaller classes, um, and a lot of those are reflections of you know the you know either either not having space in some cases or leaving spots open for transfers. I mean, I think Arizona already has. I think they're tops in the fact 12 already having seven transfers committed. Um, you know, coming in, it is tough. Like, it's something that I really hope. I mean, I I don't have time to to go figure out how to evaluate transfers. Um, and a lot of transfers, it it is difficult to evaluate them because you haven't. Nobody has really seen them um, in a lot of cases play much. I mean, they're often transferring, looking for playing time. So we don't have any new data. Um, you know, nobody has any new tape on them. Should we just? apply a discount to whatever, you know, their rating was coming out of high school. Um, you know, that stuff gets hard. I mean, like there are, of course, like the, you know, like the you know, Russell Wilson type transfers, of course, right, where we have a ton of data and we knew he'd be good. Um, but I, I do, you, you sort of begin to feel like as we approach the NCAA, you know, potentially like putting in a, a, a free transfer year without penalty, you know, that you have one, one free transfer um, you really, I really do hope the recruiting services do find some way to start including these in, because you do feel like that they are they're 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 starting to you know be an important part of every class, and we need to find a way to evaluate them as such. Um, but at the moment, um, you know the, the the answer right now is that BetaRank's blind, um, and everyone is. I mean, your recruiting rankings, BetaRank, SP, you know, FEI are all blind to to, to transfers.
1: Yeah, that's it's interesting, and when you take a look at some of the holes that need to be filled in, a lot of the programs that are kind of the bottom feeders, um, you don't quite know, right? Arizona sucked this year. They bring in seven transfers. Are they going to fit in? Are they, you know, like you just, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. But, but Rob, you and I both have like jobs outside of, <laughs> of this, so it's yeah. kind of frustrating sometimes when you don't see scouting and rivals and all that stuff, um, kind of put together some sort of transfer um, rankings or figure it out. I you know. To some extent, I think it's some organizations trying to not be the first one out there with bad numbers. You know, like you really have to yeah. put yourself out there. It's kind of like why why we give um, was it circa the the circa book like the, which is like the big balls book where they they throw their lines out immediately and then everybody else right. determines what what the lines are based on that. So um, yeah. yeah, that that's super interesting. I think one of the things that I'm gonna kind of keep a lookout for. When when it comes to transfers, is uh, we we've, we've started to cover this on the podcast. I think we did three teams last week. Obviously, it's National Signing Week, so we'll cover that. Uh, but we'll get back to covering the transfers as they come in, and I think there's going to continue to be more. Right? Like, is is there any limit to when the transfers aren't allowed to to move uh, schools anymore?
0: No, yeah, I mean, it's really, like if you're a transfer and you'd like to play, I mean, you're, you're like that. You're much more likely, you know. I guess depending on the position and you know how well you can pick up scheme. Um, you're much more likely to play if you get there in time for fall camp, but really like the deadline is you just have to be enrolled for fall classes in order to be able to play, you know, so the, the transfer, like, but I mean, I know, you know, a lot of the programs out there, even, you know, USC clay Helton had mentioned he was holding, I think two or three spots open for transfers, um, you know, as they might come available. They've already taken one, um, Katie Nixon from Colorado, um, you know, maybe more, but I, I know Nixon, um, Arizona, I think has again, um, you know, like an additional, like two or three spots still available. I think Oregon state's got some spots available for transfer. Washington took a Texas tech wide receiver transferring. in. I mean, there are, I mean, this is the the year. I mean, like if you are, if you really needed a roster rebuild, I think because of the eligibility holiday, um, and the expectation that they're, you know, they're, waivers are going to be pretty easy to get like this is this is the year to, to hold some spots open to, to potentially get some uh you know guys that at least have some college experience and time in a college weight room uh to play
1: yeah and, and credit to oregon state uh, i know there's other schools in the Pac-12 that have brought in transfers but they you know when smith got there it just seemed like he immediately understood the importance of the transfer portal and they've just Brought in some really intriguing prospects over time. Addison Gums being the, you know, like when he came in from Oklahoma, four star kid. Um, they got the Florida State wide receiver um, this past time. Obviously, he may or may not have raided the the cookie jar from Nebraska, bringing in a couple. Uh, Tristan Jebia and um, the, the wide receiver uh, Johns, I think. Uh, in any case, um, it seems like he really hit the ground running on that front in addition to recruiting at the high school level, too. So, um, just kind of cool to see some of the smaller schools being more creative. Um, and obviously the bigger schools are, are I think everybody's going to benefit from the changing rules here when it comes to transfers. But uh, I guess another question for you, Rob, as we take a look at these recruiting rankings, you tend to look um, at at one particular site and look at the rankings a little bit differently. Do you kind of want to go through um, what you have your eyes on when you're taking a look at the impact of recruiting?
0: Yeah, I, I use uh, Rivals Recruiting Rankings. They're, they. It's been a little while since I went back and retested it. But, um, you know, historically, when I've tested the recruiting services for their predictive power, Rivals had a very, very small edge. Um, but I also, I don't use, um, and I would recommend that you don't either, um, the class rankings that Rivals or 24-7 actually come up with. They're, I don't know why they do it, because... The average of the you know the total like ranks you know the average ranking of the kids in the class actually is the most predictive number. It's the number that predicts on the field success better um, than the you know the class rank uh, or the class rankings that the recruiting services themselves come up with. So um, when we talk like I I, you know like I realize we're going to talk about it like it will sound different when we talk about where we would where where this will rank a class. Then maybe some numbers you've heard, even if somebody else is referencing rivals like I just uh, you should you should ignore. You should ignore the way the recruiting services actually rank those classes, because I don't know why they do it. They have they actually have a perfectly good system that they decided to mess with and make worse.
1: Yeah. So they'll determine your rank by how many players you sign. So if somebody signed like five more three stars than somebody else, but the three stars are a little bit lower, like it just kind of it makes it a bit funky on that front. Um, so yeah, yeah. So we're going to use, and and when we talk about the rating, it's zero to five and you know, you don't really rate anybody zero. So it's really kind of like one to five or maybe 1.5 to five, but five being like the five star, you know, if you signed a class of all five stars, your class, um, according to rivals would be five, um, And, and they, they also like, well, you know, when you take a look at the stars and I'm sure most people are familiar with this, but some people probably aren't. So if you're a five-star, there's kind of like a level between like what you are as a five-star, you can be like a 6.1 or a five. Like, so there are different variations and this makes more sense when you dip down because obviously to get a five-star rating, um, basically everybody's like, yeah, that guy's a baller. Um, if you're a four-star there is a, a variation of that. It's kind of like being a B plus, a B or a B minus, <laughs> you know, and then you go, right. C, it's a, it's, it kind of goes like that. So when we talk about their, their, you know, total number, um, that's kind of what we're referencing is you know, what's the average average um score basically that each player got. And then just your general throat clearing here as we talk about recruiting and Rob you you definitely can go into your annual stars matter thing, but I do want to I kind of cover a couple other things first. Um obviously player development is incredibly important. So, um perfect example would be Utah versus USC where Utah um, oftentimes brings in a lot of 3 stars, a lot of JUCO kids, but that program um, has operated at a pretty high level, um, and the idea is if they're able to bring in players that are even better and, and bring them up another level, maybe Utah can make even another jump. Um, so just because your team didn't get like a, didn't have a huge class in terms of like pedigree. It is possible that your coaching staff can coach them up. Uh, we'll see. But oftentimes, um, you know, having elite talent and good coaches <laughs> tends to lead to being pretty darn good. So um, so I know that when we had Hithliday on, we focus a lot on stars. Um, and, and those do matter. And Rob, like, I want you to, to talk about that. But at the same time, just want to highlight that, obviously, in the class, you're going to have your gems. Um, but if you're relying on a class that is fairly low and your coaching staff isn't great um, and kind of making the excuse of, oh, well, you know, stars really don't matter and look at Scooby Wright or look at this player, you know, like that ended up being really good, uh, but being like a two-star player. Yeah, of course, those players are going to be all over the board and they're probably going to be on your team and my team and everybody's team. Uh, But at the end of the day, there, there is, uh, there, there is a bit of a a science to this when it comes to bringing in elite talent, Rob.
0: So, I tend to fall into the camp of like stars matter. They're not, but they aren't destiny, right? Like I, Texas has signed a lot of really great recruiting classes. Texas has kind of stunk it up a little bit. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean that we simply toss out recruiting rankings. Right. They are still quite predictive. Um, and I, I would also just say, I mean, a couple of things like there's a, they get less recruiting rankings, get less predictive as you get further down. Um, and, and that is a reflection though of like the the kids at the top, the five stars, the four stars, the high three stars, they're often getting a lot more evaluation time in camps. Um, you know and, and and a lot more you know they're they're seeing a lot more. Um, you know it is it, it, like if you're I wouldn't fuss too much like if your program signs a bunch of three stars, right, like it's obviously be better to sign four stars. Um, but there's a lot of gradient like there's a lot of variation in in three star. Um, and the recruiting ranking for three stars are less accurate than what you would see for like four stars um, on its exact measurement. Um, but like the, like I, I would also say like, just don't like, I mean, you, you should not count on player development to save your bacon. Like if you want to compete with Alabama, like nobody does player development like Alabama.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: like you think your school's good at it. You're not as good as Alabama. Like, they, like Nick Saban does not just roll out, you know, the top recruiting class in the country and beat you, he has excellent scheme, excellent player development. They do tremendous things. So like if your school has real aspirations, like playoff level aspirations, like you got to still, like you absolutely have to recruit, um, you know, to be able to get there. And then, and then you also have to have like, of course, like top notch scheme and player development as well.
1: Totally different sport, but my favorite, like, you know, uh, recruiting ranking story is Scottie Pippen. My son loves Scottie Pippen, and like Scottie Pippen went through a growth spurt when he was at like a oh, JUCO yeah. college, and then ended up getting picked up by Central Arkansas, in Conway, Arkansas, um, out of uh, you know, and, and ended up being just. I mean, what a, what an amazing story to go from like a walk on on a JUCO school to. Um, six championships with Michael Jordan and just one of the meanest, nastiest players in the best kind of way. Uh, in any case, yeah, yeah. Stars, stars matter. Um, sometimes they don't uh, because uh, there's uh, outside factors. But like you mentioned, overall, kind of a good barometer, like a good, good uh, gauge of where uh, teams are. So with that said, Rob, let's take a look at the rankings as you have them. Um, the top team coming in would be uh, would be Oregon. At number five, their average score was 3.87. And just for context, um, Alabama, which by the way, If you if you just want to have a heart attack, um, go into rivals and take a look at Alabama's recruiting class for 2021. It is just um, the most inappropriate thing you've ever seen. And uh, their class was 4.04 as an average, and um, an organ comes out at 3.87. Rob and uh, once again, Mario Cristobal getting it done. Now you know didn't necessarily uh, take all that talent and uh, and make the most out of it in a funky year to be sure. Um, but obviously, to be able to continue the progress. And just continue to bring in good talent. Um, obviously, it's good for Oregon, but it's also good for the conference. Um, I just really, it's nice to see them go out um, a number of different places too uh, to bring in some real talent into the conference.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think Oregon, like if you're uh, if you're one of the other Pac-12 programs, there have been some complaints that. Christopher has brought a little bit of an SEC mentality.
1: Well, anytime, like that's, that's Oh, sorry. Like, just real fast. Whenever somebody says SEC mentality, I want everybody to, in their minds, have the air quotes, like the SEC mentality. I know. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, but I mean,
0: like, like I mean, you know, he's he worked for Nick Saban. I mean, he's not messing around. I mean, like, he knows the importance of recruiting. Um, you know, and I, I think it's that level. Like, that's not the worst thing for the conference. Um, in particular where it has felt like the conference has really struggled to nail down, um, you know, some areas that, you know, that really are within the footprint, you know, there, you know, you've seen kids leaving Arizona and not going, not, not just not going to the Arizona schools, not going to pac 12 schools. Right. Um, you know, like Dijon Robinson, like a, you know, an absolute star at Texas, like a, a lot of quarterbacks that have gone, you know, come out of the Phoenix area of late um, and gone on to play at other schools. Like, I mean, it just, it, you know, it just feels like the, you know, like Oregon really getting going again, they might be able to, to, to keep some of that talent at home in the Pac-12. That's a, that's a, I would argue, that's a good thing for the conference that like, if at the very least Oregon is raising the bar and forcing other teams to compete, um, that's a plus, right? Like, I mean, you're the, the, the rest of the, the rest of the college football world is not sitting idle. Um, you know, and so the Pac-12 can't sit in some parochial bubble and pretend that, you know, like, you know, the, you know, it's not happening, right, and that we can just be, you know, sit and have our quaint recruiting practices. So, I mean, uh, and so not just the the two headliners, the the two five stars, but I mean, 16 four stars in this class. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a really solid class.
1: And it's a good name. So Jackson Light. I like that one a lot. Uh, like you mentioned, you know, we and Rob, you and I used to cover Arizona football. And one of the things that we w- would always bring up is there was a, a burgeoning class of really high level football players that were coming through the state of Arizona and um and the inability for uh, not only Arizona, but at the time, ASU to keep those players home. and um, and like you mentioned them jumping around, even um uh, Texas Am got a couple of them. and um, yeah, but like again, like Ty Johnson was a six point one, like that the highest five star uh, quarterback ended up committing to them. They went into Utah of all places and got an offensive tackle. Kingsley, uh, Salma Taa. Who um, came out of uh, Utah, and then if you take a look around at what they where they were going—Baltimore, Rochester, New York—they went to Las Vegas, which has kind of been a recruiting ground for the Pac-12. Um, you know, all uh, Omaha, Nebraska, like a national footprint, and that kind of reminds me of where USC was. Um, yeah, you know, when they were in their heyday to be able to go around, and, and frankly, Stanford. Stanford did a great job. Um, particularly having to be so picky with a small class going nationally and bringing people in so um, look I know uh, we'll, we'll get off Oregon but like they were number one on the list so we're going to talk about them um, but I do think it's nice to see the conference itself going outside and picking off people elsewhere uh, because a lot of the California schools and a lot of the Seattle schools and a lot of the um, the Arizona schools have been raided by the SEC and the Big 12 and it's just I mean the more, more players I can say the West Coast the better.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. And really too, I think, you know, you look at, you know, I think the other big story in the Pac twelve this year in recruiting is is USC, you know, bouncing back from where they were last year, which is, you know, the conference needs USC to, to recruit well and, you know, actually do something with those players on the field. But, you know, going out and what, you know, some recruiting services had as the number one player overall, Corey Foreman, um, you know, he's the real headliner for that class. But Uh, you know, below that, I mean, you can really see, I mean, you had with Corey Foreman, you had, you know, a bit of the Dante Williams effect. Um, you know, Williams formerly had been at Oregon, you know, really regarded by a lot of people to be one of the best recruiters on the West coast. Um, the USC signed a really good defensive back class as well. Um, you know, here, so USC has the one five star and then again, like 16, four star recruits, I mean that that that's a good thing for the conference that USC is again going out and you know, it's not it's not as as much pizzazz as, you know, when USC when in a lot of ways you could say like USC was the Alabama for a while under Carroll. Like you just uh, an absolute force in recruiting, but USC not you know, not pulling what they did last year, I think is a really positive sign.
1: Yeah, another thing to mention too is uh USC got its its head cleaned. <laughs> By, by other schools like Oregon even even Washington State was coming into Southern California and pulling people off and if you take a look at the recruiting uh the, you know the states that that Health uh, was able to pull from I mean it's a really heavy California class which you know it's it's almost a counterbalance to what you saw <laughs> from the last year of you know retaining elite talent in the state um so I mean like ultimately it'd be great if you can get the best players from Southern California, um, go into Northern California, pick off a few people and then, and then kind of branch out from there and be able to recruit at a national level, which if USC can ever get back to his glory days could do. Um, but at the same time, this is really, really, this is a good cl- class for USC, not only in the state, but also being able just to pull in and just, just a solid class all around, um, given all of the problems that USC has had with Hilton. Um Now, you know, this all comes with a grain of salt. Ken Helton actually put put the pieces finally together. Um, I just think that there's a ceiling on on what he's going to be able to do at USC, just because he's the head coach. You can uh, keep rearranging the <laughs> the coordinators and all that stuff, uh, but at the end of the day, sometimes it comes down to who the who the top CEO is there, and it is Clay Helton. But all that said, like this is this is good, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these two schools, I think, um, you know, really getting. I mean, you could almost argue that like USC, like you know, there you really feel like Clay Helton was given the keys, um, you know, with bringing Dante Williams on, um, you know, with being able to bring on a new defensive coordinator with bringing on, you know, and and revamping the staff and, you know, new special teams coach. Um, Yeah. And they totally revamped their video department. I mean, uh, it does feel like underneath the hood that they, you know, they may have decided to, to 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 go with a little stability, and it it has, you know, at least this year paid off with you know bouncing back a bit and recruiting uh, for the Trojans. Um, and and th- for, frankly, for those two, like I mean, programs like you know, like if you, if you're in the rest of the Pac-12, like you either have to choose to try to compete with them recruiting wise, or you're going to have to out scheme and out and out coach these guys
1: yeah, by it- a lot, you know, like. <laughs> Um, And just for some context here, so Oregon, their average class was 3.87 and uh, USC 3.82. So, I mean, like this is uh, the difference between the number five class and the number nine class, and it isn't really that significant. I think when we start going down a little bit more is where we start seeing the drop off. And uh, coming in at number 16 is the University of Washington, who did was one of the the schools, Rob, uh, one of the three in the conference that landed a five-star.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Washington, I think, they didn't have, I don't think they had a ton of space in this class. Um, you know, Sam Heward's the real big get for them, you know, quarterback wise coming in. Um, they've definitely, they've, they've certainly signed some, some guys, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, you know, they certainly haven't had a dearth of four-star talent in the QB room, um, you know, there up in Seattle, uh, even with some transfers out. And then, you know, of course, like the, you know, the transfer back in from, from Georgia. Um, but I, you know, like, Heward was the, was the big get for them. But after that, you know, like I think the concern, if you're a Washington fan and I have seen some, you know, like pretty hardcore Washington fans that uh, I interact with and chat with on the Twitter machine, you know, like there was some dissatisfaction I think with the overall composition of this class. Right. I, you know, like, I mean, Heward's the big get, um, you know, a little bit of a legacy hometown guy, you know, but after that, you know, like, you know, USC's class and, and Oregon's class, um, you know, they have three times the, the, the four stars to, to the, you know, the number of three stars that those classes that they signed, um, Washington, you know, you're, you're bringing in, you know, there, there is the one five star, um, you know, they're the only other school in the conference to sign a five star player. It's at the most important position on the field. I don't want to discount that, but you know, then there's four or five, four stars, but, and then eight, three stars, um, so smaller class, um, you know, Washington has, you know, a, if you're a Washington fan, um, you know, the argument that you would flip around maybe and make is that you know, Washington has been particularly good at developing talent, but like you're starting, I don't know. It just feels like with this class, it's starting to be like, that's what we're going to do. We're just going to develop talent. Like, I don't want to knock them too. much. I mean, they're the third ranked class in the way that we're going to do the rankings here in the conference. But um, there's a gap between the way Washington you know, has been recruiting in the way USC and Oregon have been
1: recruiting. Yeah. And their defense has been excellent. I mean, and and one of the, the, the two other bright spots I saw were in the defensive tackles they brought in. So one of the things we were talking about in our preview of Washington this year was, all right, like they have some ends, they have some big guys. Let's see, let's see if they can put it together. Um, and, and I think for the most part, like you, you could run a a bit on the Washington team, but just to be able to reinforce the trenches, that's like been the big thing with Washington with the PAC 12 in general. Like, I think there's some decent recruiting across the conference when it comes to wide receivers and skill players and stuff, but it's really, are you going to be able to, um, to (laughs) pass protect and run block? And are you going to be able to pressure the quarterback? So to be able to bring in those big bodies in the center, I think is great. At the same time, um, I, you know, and I guess it's, again, it's a question that we kind of have always with Washington is where do you want to, where do you want to set the, uh, you know, draw the line? Is, is Washington going to be a national power that's trying to compete for the playoff? Or are they going to be a power that's going to compete for the Pac-12 North? And, you know, we'll, we'll see where they go. Um, one of the things that makes me a little bit nervous, Rob, is when you take a look and this is just, it just kind of is what it is. Um, you know, there's like six teams that are <laughs> that are competing for a national title, right? It's like, it's Alabama, it's Clemson, it's uh, Ohio State, sometimes it's Oklahoma, um, you know, like, and then every once in a while, like, another team will pop up, but the teams that pop up tend not to, um, like, Notre Dame is a really good example. Like, they're just not recruiting at the same level as Ohio State um, and and Alabama, and it showed. I, I just don't know how, uh, now Washington did recruit super well in the last couple of years. So like do not yeah. get me wrong. Like they've done a really good job. Like they have they have some talent. Um this was a little bit disappointing I think considering the the history that they've had the last couple of years. Um and whether or not they're going to continue what trend they're going to continue as they move forward because they're really going to need an influx of talent to be able to compete um for for a spot in the playoff.
0: I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly
1: from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not uh, as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp-you-out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think that's absolutely accurate. Like, Washington, I, I, I do feel like, There was a lot of, and this is something, though, that, you know, really for Washington fans, they were really hoping Jimmy Lake was going to turn around, that he was going to bring, you know, some different energy into recruiting and focus on it and that there was going to be less of the, you know, uh, Chris Peterson had the OKG thing, Um, you know, like less focus on OKGs, more focus on, you know, really going out, competing for top talent. I mean, Washington has a defensive scheme that I think really works, right? And, and, you know, that's even with the new GC, which we're going to cover is, you know, is, is not going to change. Uh, but that said, like their, their offense has been, has been stagnant and, you know, it's, it's an offensive game now. Like, I mean, as, as you saw with Alabama this year, LSU the year before Oklahoma, the last guy, like, you really have to be able to score points. It's, it's, you know, it, you're not going to compete in the playoff unless you have a, a, a top grade offense. And I think you a step in the right direction. Absolutely. Um, but you know, they, they have they they've left themselves some work to cut out for them. Because I, I do think too, if you look at a lot of their players, like most of their players that are they have really developed have, have been within that defensive scheme inside of the ball. Um, you know, and then outside of like tight end, I think that like you could almost say they've struggled a little bit at producing like pro level, you know, a lot of pro level talent on on the offensive side.
1: Yeah. And for context there, so the average score for, again, and all right, I'm going to keep beating the drum, you know, it could be player development. Maybe like a lot of these players are really solid and the Utah, or I'm sorry, the Washington uh, coaching staff is able to bring them up. We don't know. We're just kind of going off of the the rankings right now. Uh, with that said, uh, USC's average ranking was 3.82 and Washington was 3.4. So Um, there, there's a pretty precipitous drop off between Oregon and USC and then the rest of the conference, but, uh, Utah leading the way and still, and still hauling in a top 20 class.
0: Yeah. I mean, like, and there's, there's like, I think the the next couple of programs, I mean, I, I think it's important to look at it this way. I think Utah actually ends up staying put at number four, um, you know, but like then you'd have Arizona state, which for some reasons I absolutely do not understand. I mean, it's not a big class came in at number nine overall um, you know, in the rivals rankings, but you know, the, uh, the, uh, the overall, um, you know, the, their, their class ranking overall, their average is 3.14, which is, you know, pretty good. And and Utah's came in at 3.22. They each signed, you know, four, four stars, um, you know, in there, the, uh, and then, you know, like both programs, I mean, but particularly Utah, they've had a really good run of developing talent, you know, in-house, Um, And and guys that, you know, tend to go to Utah and, you know, they they tend to disappear into the weight room, and uh, play on special teams for a couple of years, and then they come out as starters and they're they're usually pretty good.
1: Yeah, and shout out to Washington for, now, most of their recruiting came in the state of Washington and in California, so they were able to go into California and pick off some people. But to go to Hawaii, you know, one of the things that I I just love um, is when uh, Pac-12 teams are able to go to the Pacific Islands and just really bring in. Um, really solid players. I mean, like if you just go throughout the history of like how small of a population, um, all these uh, like these regions are, um, and relative to the talent that continues to come over to uh, schools like on the mainland, it, it's just a, it's amazing. Um, so for them to go out and get a defensive tackle out of Honolulu was great. Uh, one of their top uh, players, and uh, let's see if he's able to put in the work and um and be one of the next uh, good as, as we saw uh, uh, via. Vea... <laughs> (laughs) you know, causing havoc uh, yesterday in the Super Bowl. Uh, Let's see if he can be the next one of those. So um, something to look forward to in Seattle. Like you mentioned, Rob, so even though USC was uh, ahead of Utah when it came to the rankings because of the size of their class, Utah actually had um, the higher average rating. So let's go with them. And um, once again, you know, like one of the things that we talked about with utah was the story of uh, just bringing in solid talent and developing them and continuing that process but in the last couple of years uh, i think the last year was really kind of the like the catalyst 2.0 for utah was bringing in some four-star guys that weren't jucos that were like like legit you know high school high level talent and being able to put them into the program and that that trend continues a little bit here with utah
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and Utah went out and signed a four-star quarterback that wasn't a transfer. You know, like they've, they've certainly had some transfers that have come in of late. Um, oh, and also you could argue like some transfers out, um, you know, that ended up in Indiana. Um, but absolutely, I mean, the, and I think the, some of this is the, you know, the Andy Ludwig effect of, um, you know, they go out and sign, you know, Peter Costelli and then Ricky Parks. I mean, like if, if you look at it, like, you know, Utah went out and signed a, a four-star running back and a, a, and a four-star quarterback. Um, you know, and, and went all the way to Florida to get the to get the running back, you know, like that's good. And Utah has been, you know, a little bit of a, you know, becoming a a little bit of a football hotbed on their own. And, you know, I think they still do a really good job, of course, in the Polynesian community and, and, and bringing in players, um, you know, but like this, this Utah class, like, you know, like there, there's some, there, it is nice to see Utah, consistently going out like last year and this year and signing some headliners at the top of the class guys that you feel like might start a year earlier than they normally would, um, you know, going into the Utah program, but you always feel like that they're going to fit to their scheme, um, you know, with, with the way Utah works.
1: Yeah, one of the things that jumped out of my mind was the two. So I I grew up in Southern California. I'm pretty familiar with the Southern California football scene at the high school level. And for Utah to go into Westlake Village and pull out Ethan Calvert, and then Mission Viejo to pull out uh, Castelli, like th- those are those are powerhouses in in uh, in S- South Orange County. Um, and I mean, they went in and competed not just with the Pac-12 teams, like the high level Pac-12 teams, but um, they, they were able to, to fend off LSU and Ohio State and a couple other programs, too. So some really good gets for Utah. And one of the things that I think they're going to have to do as a program is not only recruit, again, like those three stars, but to to be able to suck in um, three or four or five of these high-level talents, uh, not just from California, but also from Texas. Now, here, in, uh, they didn't necessarily do that in Texas. They went to Tampa to get Ricky Flo- uh, Parks. But um, just to be able to go into California and hold their own against some really high-level talent is is encouraging. Now again, you know, we, we just kind of like what our expectations, right? We were just talking about how Washington has some work, you know, possibly has some work to do unless they, they build up the talent. Um, and then we go and we're now we're like praising Utah. So like, you know, on paper Washington certainly had a, a better class than Utah. Um, I've just, and, and to be frank, I think the development of talent at Washington at the defensive side has been pretty solid. So, um, it's, it's just what our expectations were. We often expect Washington to compete for the Pac-12 title, whereas Utah, it's like, go and get them guys. Like, Oh, they almost did it. And, um, but, but Utah continues to snowball in a good way. Um, it, it just seems like they are building off of the jumps that they've made slowly over time. And now that program seems like the floor is a lot higher, but the ceiling, yeah. I think, for Washington is higher right now.
0: No, I mean, absolutely. I mean, like, it, it does feel like we sort of like uh, knock Washington a little bit, but it's it, some of it. Though, is you're right. I mean, it's the expectation game, right? I mean, like you, you work, you still work in politics. I worked in politics a while back, right? Like, it's you know, like you're sort of always setting expectations before like a debate or something like that or a big speech, and often it's trying to downplay what the performance might be, um, so that you can sort of get over the hump and. Like Washington, like I feel like from the the playoff appearance and you know the 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 Rosewolves, the expectations are very high, and it's not just us. I mean, I think the expectations are legitimately high among the Washington fan base. Um, Utah, on the other hand, like uh, I mean, like I I think there was a you know two seasons ago, Utah fans really you know there was talk of Utah potentially making it into the playoff. Um, They're not there. Right. And they haven't won a conference title yet. Nailed that down. They don't have a really signature big bowl win, um, you know, like over in a name program. I'm not so like, obviously Utah going back, you have some really big bowl wins. I don't want to like, we're not, we're not talking about (laughs) that far back. Um, But like, you know, this current, this current incarnation, you know, like where they like really go out and nail down a big, you know, a big name bowl game and, you know, after potentially winning a conference title, I mean, they've been a force in the South for sure. Um, it still feels like Utah has some headroom potentially to go, you know, to go to, um, but Utah also has not, I mean, like they have not recruited as well as Washington has They ever. I mean, like in the past, they also, I mean, their recruiting has really started to pick up the last two years You know, like you, they they still feel like, in some ways, they still feel like a program on the rise. Our our concern, and I don't think it's just our concern. I think a lot of folks around Washington is is like the worry is like the plateau, right? So I don't like we want, like we legitimately do want Washington to push ahead, go fight with USC and Oregon, and not be satisfied where they're at.
1: Yeah. With that said, congratulations to Utah for um, again, like raising um raising that bar of expectations for them on the recruiting front because um it certainly has been raised two years in a row so we'll see if they can keep that going uh rob we were having so much fun we forgot to do a break so i apologize to people for because <laughs> I, I, i'm gonna have to squeeze in uh and add a little bit earlier so sorry uh for surprising you there, guys but let, we're gonna be uh coming back we're gonna talk asu and some of the other teams right after this all right we are back and um and our thoughts and congratulations to Herm Edwards and the rest of that team. I know the coaching staff had got hit with COVID and, um, and we remain firm for Herm and uh, we're really excited to see that program. And of course, like the team played like four games, like, ah, like the, of all the players and all the teams that uh-huh. we wanted to see, uh, ASU didn't get to, to really, we didn't get to see what they could be um, when you have a whole year to develop your team. Um, with that said, right, we've been pretty complimentary of ASU. I, and I, and I, I, I really thought that the bar was set higher in the last couple of years. They, they've they just been able to bring in a lot of interesting pieces and players. Um, this year, though, Rob, um, I don't know, like four four-stars, one, one that, that's really high, um, and Isaiah Johnson, who is a defensive back out of California, uh, Playa del Rey. I, I don't know. I um I just feel like there's more momentum for this program than I'm seeing – on paper when it comes to the recruiting class and who knows, like maybe they're really good evaluators of talent. So um, certainly better than I am. Um, but when I, when I just kind of saw it, a quick snapshot, I was like, Oh, like that, that was my reaction to this class. What do you think?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, it's not one where you, where you look at it and think, Oh my gosh, like what happened here? Like this, this is clearly bad, right? Like they're still decent for the Pac-12. they've signed a couple four stars, you know, they've, they've definitely done a decent job. I think, you know, getting talent into the program and developing it. I thought they did a pretty good job actually this last year. And I, you know, I have made the jokes of like, you know, mileage on transfers may vary um, because a lot of, I think a lot of fans get really super excited when a transfer comes in, but their offensive line transfers were actually pretty good <laughs> this year. Like each in particular, but I was, I guess I was, just, I was expecting a little more. I mean, they definitely had a, a, a little bit more sizzle, uh, in the class last year, I mean, they they did sign. Uh, it felt like uh, you know just a bevy of four-star wide receivers, um, you know, in last year's class. But I think the uh, you know the 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 they do have an opportunity. I think to I don't know. I it it is tough because like I don't want to knock them too much because like they did decently within the Pac-12. But I mean, if you even look last year, one, two, five, six, seven, they had signed eight four stars last year you know, it is, it is a smaller class and that's okay. Like, I mean, they may like it, you know, like they, they, they may not have had the roster space, but you feel like with there being less roster space available um, that they might have gone out and, and, and actually, you know, been able to devote devote, you know, the staff, you know, resources to really, you know, landing a few more, you know, high end, you know, top end players here and really, I mean, they did need to take a quarterback, I felt like, in this class with the transfers that they've had out. You know, I I think that they maybe really like Finn Collins coming in. But, you know, it feels like ASU should have been able to go out and land, you know, at least a four-star quarterback.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll see. One of the things that keeps coming up on my radar is um, Herm's focus on the offensive line. Right, so yeah. it wasn't just the transfers that that he brought in, and I'm assuming that the players that he had brought in in the, that class, like they just weren't ready, right? Like I think that's one of the areas. Unless you're an elite offensive line talent, it's really hard to plug somebody in right away. And I think it was Donovan West that was able to do that. I have to go back and look. I always get those two. There's two like really solid offensive linemen that are young for that program. I always forget which one was which. Um, with that said the focus on the offensive line, like I kept joking that they had like, they recruited 18 offensive linemen in the last two classes. It wasn't that much, but it was certainly a large amount because Herm understands the importance of of finding good linemen and developing them yet again here, uh, more than four offensive linemen in a very small class uh, that he went out and got. So that, that always, I just, I always find like those trends really interesting. Um, and ASU was also able to go out and and do a little bit of a, get get those airline miles here. Uh, Orlando, they went and got Tommy Hill, Tommy with an I, um, a four-star athlete out of Florida. They went to Brooklyn, New York. They went to Franklin, Louisiana. They, they kind of got creative in terms of where they were going, um, and bringing players in. And, um, and also of course, you know, able to go into orange and, you know, orange County, California and to Mesquite, Texas and Garland, Texas and all that stuff. So, um, you know, like kind of, kind of go in the places where they normally do, but also um, the ability to go out and, and try to grab some people from across the country.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think one of the things for the staff with Arizona state is, you know, including when you look at some of the running back, like the running back that they signed from, you know, Ohio last year, the four-star running back, um, you know, like they've certainly been able to expand their footprint in recruiting, um, you know, under this staff. And I think that's, you know, for the good, I I think if you were going to flip it and, you know, as you mentioned earlier, right, is like Arizona State still can't seem to get traction on, you know, the kind of traction they maybe need in the Valley itself, you know, and it it is that, I mean, it may be that I say this, like, it may be that some wins need to come first, I think, for them to be able to keep some of the local kids at home. But I mean, it is tough to see the, you know, like Arizona State logging, like all those miles. Meanwhile, like there's a lot of really good talent in, in Arizona itself.
1: It's, yeah, it's tough. You know, like, it'd be interesting to talk to Rafa Emson on this, um, just because, like, that's his beat, right? Like, he's just plugged in with all of those high schools in the Valley. Yeah. Um, and there's so much good talent coming out. I'm sure sometimes he tears his hair out when they go to, like, Texas A&M. You're like, what? Like, College Station? Come on. Like, there's nothing out there. Uh, you know, and, and that was when uh, Kevin Sumlin was there, not when Jimbo Fisher was there. At least he had Fisher now. Um, so I'm sure, you know, uh, it would be interesting to see his – Um, his take on this class and um, I need to catch up on my ASU podcast because I'm sure that they had a signing day um, uh, thing there. So just to plug that, they do a really good job with that. With that said, yeah, like again, like we don't quite know. I just more um, was expecting a little bit more because of what Herm has begun to build there. And that's a testament yeah. to the culture and, um, and the momentum that he's been able to put together, but we'll see, maybe, maybe they're able to build these guys up and, um, and, and it wasn't like they didn't recruit some top level talent. Um, they certainly did with the the four guys there. Um, and I'm sure there are a couple gems in, in the three-star ranks like there are for every class. So, um, anyway, I, I just thought that was, that was interesting on my end. Uh, let, let's move over to UCLA here who comes in next. Oh, I'm sorry, Cal, my apologies. Um, no, no, no! I got it. No, no, right? it's, I got it. it's UCLA. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm so surprised UCLA like did anything. I was like, oh, okay. Um, no, you know, coming off uh, a surprising year for sure. Um, I think we we buried uh, Chip Chip Kelly's like dead corpse like uh, about
0: a little prematurely, and I was I mean I was kicking the body as I was pushing it into the
1: grave. <laughs> Uh, able to put something together. And even Jerry Azenaro uh, putting together a really aggressive defense. Man. I know he had some help there. But, um, but you know, like, credit where credit is due. With that said, like, you know, Chip Kelly has – and I think if you talk to Oregon fans, too, they probably say the same thing. Like, not a great history of uh, really – you know, circling the wagons on the, the Cruton Trail. I think I think he tends to kind of want to find his players, and he takes a lot of pride in having the best walk-on program and uh, that kind of stuff. So I wasn't really expecting, like, a blowout class from UCLA. This, this was, you know, to be frank, like, I looked at it in the beginning, I'm like, ah, uh, and then I kind of remembered – what what to get right like sometimes this old dog new tricks is, is kind of difficult to do so at the end of the day here rob three four stars a lot of high level three star talent which i think can be really underrated sometimes um yeah you know coming from a bottom feeder program um as a fan of arizona um i'm always like oh oh yeah four uh, uh 3.7 uh, oh yeah that's or 5.7 rating on a three star like and, and then of course ucla is like 18 of them so you know like uh, right. you know everything's relative i don't know what you think about this class
0: I mean, I think it's, uh, I mean, it's just so hard. I mean, like, cause I, you sort of look at it and you think like, I mean, it's, it's not as if he did a lot with the, you know, the, the, the fairly stocked roster that he inherited from Mora. He is certainly, as the roster has become more of Kelly's guys, they have played bad. I mean, they were a lot better last year for sure. It's still, it's just super just dis- like, I mean, there's like, uh, for any shots that we may take in Washington, like, yeah, you're UCLA like signing three four stars are you kidding me yeah,
1: you're in westwood like, freaking california good man, lord come <laughs>
0: on like make an effort you know like there's just so much talent sitting on your doorstep you know there are a lot of kids that i think you know even if they're like you know like UCLA may not be you know quite usc in terms of the mystique like it's still you know you know you know one of the big time like you know, in, in a lot of ways, programs, you know, out on the West coast, um, you know, they have a, they have a decent history, you know, there, and they certainly have, there's a lot of still flash and pizzazz with playing in LA. Um, and holy moly, I mean, three, I mean, three, four stars, it's just, it just feels like, I mean, there were, there were times with Mora that us, you know, U, uh, UCLA was out there recruiting five-star players. You know, and, and signing you know really big, highly regarded classes. Um, this to go out and sign 18, you know, 18 players, the majority of whom are three stars. And I mean, that's not a bad. I mean, like I said, like you said, like it's not necessarily a bad thing. Like the line on, you know, what is a high three star and what's a four star is, you know, hard. It, it, it's a it's a tight line, but it is still like, it is still I think um, it is frustrating. I think as a Pac-12 fan. Um, to see UCLA really punching this far below their weight in in recruiting,
1: and, and it's like a top ten public university in the country. Like that's the yeah, other I mean, thing. yeah,
0: just terrific university. <laughs> it's
1: like, yeah, the, so you have you have now it's like literally obviously Stanford has the brand of being like a, a you know world class university as it and, it and it should it is. Um, at the same time, UCLA is one of the best public universities in the country. So you have that baked in you also have the location like if you haven't been to westwood it's gorgeous it's like beautiful (laughs) i i I don't know like i i think it's crazy town but at the same time like right it's expectations like i came into this going like yeah that's about what chip kelly's probably going to do um which i don't know if it's laziness or if it's like just really um a stubborn focus on i am going to get the players that i'm going to get and i'm going to build them up i i don't know like you know I also think that like one of the things that we don't talk about, about any teams and I'm not making excuses for UCLA, but like culture matters, right? Like you want to get people that, that mentally fit within what you want to do. Um, and, but I don't really know what you, <laughs> I don't know what Chip Kelly's trying to do, Rob.
0: No. And that's what's like, I mean, <laughs> he is in some ways like, and it's not, uh, I don't think it's, he's not rebuilding Oregon, you know, of course, like, uh, you know, down in Westwood. But at the same time, like, I mean, you're, you're not seeing a fundamentally, big difference in the way he's recruited, right? I mean, now I will say, like, we should call out, like, they did land Zach Charbonnet, the four-star transfer from Michigan, who was a, a big star uh, at Oaks Christian. Um, you know, UCLA did land him in the transfer portal. That's a big get. Somebody that, if, if, you know, is able to play immediately that you expect them to do, you know, good things with. But, I mean, really, like, you, you, like, if, if Chip Kelly, you know, like, I don't understand why he isn't thinking like, sure, I could be good with three stars. But imagine if I got guys that fit my system that were
1: forced. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> like,
0: what could we do then? Because really, I don't think, I mean, and I say this, like, I, I think he, they, they did terrific improvement. I think that the hire that they made from Navy on the defensive staff just did a terrific job in helping clean up what they were doing on the defensive side of the ball they took a step forward on offense. They were, you know, you take away the turnovers in UCLA. I think a lot more people would be talking about them coming into next year. And we certainly will be um, talking about them coming into next year. Um, That said, like, there's just, it's just like, I I don't like, I I think Chip Kelly, like he's not going to get to where where he wants to get to. Like these, the kinds of classes he's signing are just not going to get you anywhere near the playoff. Or if they do, you're just going to get a obliterated by clemson or Bama or ohio state or even oklahoma and people should watch out for oklahoma coming into this year with what alex grinch is doing on that defense
1: yeah, i think sometimes when i hear coaches being like we want our kind of guys in this program you know it's not like it's not like you're uh you're assigning hit points like in an rpg or something where like you can only be this strong or you can only be this smart or you can only be this right. like i mean you could be all of those things <laughs> said, like well why don't you get your kind of guys that are also really good players like i don't i don't understand <laughs> so i yeah. mean obviously each each team and each coach is limited in, in some ways but like whenever somebody says our kind of guys i'm like uh eh, that, that that's kind of a cop-out for it. we're not going to recruit like the elite players and it seems like sometimes ucla um has done that under chip kelly with that said like you know, he did focus on the defense. So the top the top players he had: uh, Quinton Somerville is a defensive end out of Scottsdale, uh, Devin Kirkwood out of California. Um, they they got a defensive end out of Nevada. The one thing that that I thought was interesting was they only had one offensive lineman that is kind of in that. You know, in offensive lineman, I think sometimes you can get really good players that are like, you know, three star. Like, I mean, it's just kind of like anybody. But for for whatever reason, those always jump out to me, like the the offensive lineman that you you build and, f- and kind of fatten up and strengthen up over time. Uh, but they have good footwork yeah. and good hands and all this stuff. Um, with that said, one one offensive lineman that was um, kind of uh, not even ranked as an elite prospect, but like a pretty good prospect, um, and no defensive tackle in this class. So. Um that will be interesting to see if that's a problem in the future because you always want to kind of build up those trench players and um and we'll see if that matters. Uh moving forward, let's And go. they're losing.
0: Yeah. I mean like Odigazua was a, I mean like was a force at the senior bowl. Like I mean he had a really good senior bowl. Like they're they're losing one of the best players in the Pac twelve.
1: Yeah. We'll see. Um, I'm gonna be a little bit more careful about kicking Chip Kelly, but like, yeah. But I don't want to over, you know, <laughs> like uh, uh, overcompensate. You know, oh, 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 he's got the program really rolling right now. It's like, well, you know, I think they still won like three games, but <laughs> so let's uh, slow the train a little bit. But uh, but yeah, like certainly stepped in the right direction, um, and we'll see if we can continue that. Um, anything else on UCLA here?
0: No, no, I think we covered it.
1: Okay, let's go next, and let's go to Cal who ended up with an average score of 3.05. Two four-stars out of Texas and California. Good for them. Um, two three-stars that are kind of those higher level. And then um, and then a lot of dudes that hopefully the the coaching staff can build up, which, to be fair, uh, Wilcox has done a really good job building up uh, talent that that hasn't been at the highest levels um, when coming into the program in terms of their recruiting rankings. So... You know, there's a little bit of a track record there, Rob, on the defensive side. The offensive side of the ball, hmm, um, you know, remains to be seen with the Bill Musgrave hire, but um, we we just weren't able to see a lot when uh, when they hit the field just because of COVID. So uh, what did you think about this class? I mean, I think,
0: I mean, with Cal, you definitely, you know, like you like what they've done defensively. That's, you know, even with DeReuter leaving, you know, and, um, you know, the the change that they've had on the defensive side of the ball, but you still feel like things are, are you know, with Wilcox there are going to be fine. I mean, I think the the concern, I think, when you look at this class uh, that I have is that I still just don't see enough really high-end skill talent for where the Bears have recruited in the past on the offensive side of the football, right? You know, and, and in particular, like, I, I mean, if I was going to call it out, like, I just don't know that they're really going out and recruiting and signing the t- kind of wide receiver talent. Like, and that's where, again, like, you know, are, what are what are Cal's expectations? Am I being unfair? And, like, I think there are fairly high expectations for Bears fans. Like, you do hit the point where, like, I think Bears fans really do want to get to, like, seven, eight wins a year, you know, maybe over the next two years. You know, that uh, – they they may need to hit the transfer portal hard looking for some wide receiver talent, I think, coming in for this year and next.
1: They, they've gotten there. Now, I know that the recruiting um... – uh, the screws were tightened a little bit on like the academic requirements because, I mean, we just talked about UCLA being one of the best colleges in the yeah. country. So is Cal. I mean, Cal is like a premier um, university, like world-renowned university. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, so they have that, but I, I do know that they did tighten up the restrictions on the recruiting front, um, which was kind of an issue obviously when Sunny Dykes was looking around for another job. Um, but yeah, at the wide receiver position, you're absolutely right. like I mean they, they did get Marvin Anderson out of California like at of Mission Viejo, which is which is a good school. so it'd be interesting to see um, if he's able to um, to kind of uh, pop up a little bit. They did well on the um, on the line oh i'm sorry my yeah. apologies they, they got uh they got rob uh debonair robber baron j michael Sturdivit. so uh, out of flower mound text uh, my apologies no uh, i
0: should have that's my apologies like they did i mean they, i shouldn't say they didn't get like that like that is a that is the kind of talent they needed to get at wide receiver
1: yeah um two defensive ends also um that they brought in that were pretty high players so it'll be interesting to see how they do and then jermaine terry was the tight end and i know that um they had lost a, a four-star, like a really highly rated tight end um, that was not able to play for the program. And uh, when we were talking to our Cal friends, I know that was like a big deal that he didn't join. Because, And I was kind of excited because I know Bill Musgrave has been really big on like bringing a tight end in. So he got his guy um, and Terry. So we'll, we'll see if he's able to jump up. Uh, I'm just taking a look around here. Mostly California, t- a little bit of Texas. Um, they did pop up. Uh, they got a guy at Hawaii. um and went into to Minnesota for an offensive lineman. But uh, overall, like, I think it's going to be, I, I mean, I think I, I wasn't surprised by this recruiting class for Cal. I think this is kind of, you know, like may, maybe Rob, you and I need to read more into what the restrictions are at Cal. Um, but just kind of based on talking with Cal fans, that this is kind of where I think that they're going to be um, yeah. in the coming years. But I don't know. What do you think?
0: I was. I mean, I was a little surprised. I mean, I think they did. Well. Like, they've done actually really well with Charlie Ragal staff getting into Arizona, and they they did pull in two players from Arizona in, yeah. in this cycle. But um, you know, it's been something I, I think to continue to watch for them that they've been they've been pretty good about sneaking into Arizona and getting some high you know high three star talent um, you know out of the out of the Phoenix area to come up and play for them.
1: All right, next is a, a team that I uh, am really sad about because there was a time where Stanford was just killing it and they were a recruiting force. <laughs> and like they're under three points here on average players this year. And, and they have been able to bring players in, keep them in for four years, and really build them up, but at the same time, they were also recruiting at a really high level, and that's just dropped off. Now, they did get uh, Aaron Armitage out of New Jersey, so they went out of state all the way across the country to bring in a defensive end there. Um, they they normally will be able to bring in a quarterback. They got like a high-level three-star guy in Ari Paytu um, out of Folsom, California, but really like one four star this this whole time rob and and like i don't think i I don't don't even
0: know what to make of this class this is so wow i mean mean, like you know like what are we used to talking about with stanford like even last year they went out and signed you know in particular with the running backs that they've signed of late you know they were able to to last year um you know go out uh you know they had you know, the, and they signed a, a five-star offensive lineman last year, you know, as well as signing a four-star wide receiver, four-star tight end, four-star defensive back, another four-star offensive lineman, another four-star offensive lineman, another four-star offensive lineman. And then Emmett Smith kid, a four-star running back. I mean like that, this is a, like, I, I, I get it. Like we had talked about like Stanford, um, you know, like they, this is a small class. Like it's not a class that they they clearly had a lot of space in uh, to fill in. But man, like to to go out and have a like like I like I look at that. And if if you know you're taking a small class to go out and sign one of your most underwhelming classes in re- recent memory when you knew you were you know you weren't going to be taking 25 guys, I just think is uh, not a good sign. <laughs>
1: It, it's rough. And then one of the things that really sticks out for me was in the past, like we mentioned, Stanford was able to recruit nationally and they still do. I mean, like if you take a look at the players, they've brought in a lot of kids from Texas, Louisiana, they went into Georgia, two players out of New Jersey. they went to Utah, they went to Florida. It just seems like they logged a lot of miles not to compete with USC <laughs> like in Oregon and yeah. Washington in California. Um, there's really not a lot of California. I mean, like they did recruit players from California. I'm not like poo-pooing that. Um, but it's like six, um, of like the 15 players that they recruited and none of them are the elite blue chip players. So it just seems like they made almost who knows, like the- but on paper, it looks like they made a conscious decision of, look, we're not going to compete for these players in California. Or if we do like, we're going to hedge. And so they, they went a lot of different places, not in their state, um to bring in a lot of three-star kids and i don't know like that just strikes me as bizarre
0: yeah it's not like and i don't like stanford i think in particular maybe because of the you know because of the the eligibility um you know waiver going forward But like stanford's like clear like they're also clearly like this is not going to get made up and like transfers coming in like stanford's not going to take a ton of transfers in all likelihood so like this is it you know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that—that's just—I uh, mean—it's just odd to me to, to to go through this class. And you, I'm used to Stanford, you know, being able to go out and sign, you know, top offensive line talent, sign at the very least a four-star quarterback, sometimes five-star quarterbacks. They—they—they they were in no you're, you are not in any danger, I think, if you're Stanford of overstocking your roster with talent at this point, right? Like, I mean, they—they've—they've recruited. <laughs> No, I mean, they've recruited really well, but some of these guys haven't quite panned out, right? And so, like, I just, you look at this class, and I, I, I guess my concern is with this class is like, it's a small class already. Um, how many of these guys are going to end up sticking, right? And like seeing the field? Like, this could just end up being like this class, if you look at it top to bottom, if they don't really develop these guys, if they're not, you know, if they're not, if they're not sure that they can develop these guys into starters this just ends up being like a black hole on their roster, you know, this year, which may be fine. Like they may be set from the eligibility waiver and like, they may just look at it and say whatever, but it's just an odd, odd, odd class.
1: Yeah. Super kind of bizarre. And I don't know, like, it, it, I think we, we kind of like, and I thought Stanford played better than um, some yeah, expectations. I thought, right.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree wholeheartedly. Like the, the offense in particular was, was better than we expected. The defense you know, it was about what we expected.
1: And just not to I mean, I guess it's kind of hard to build on like a, a basically a 500 year in the middle of COVID. But, uh, man, that school has so much going for it. And it just seems like it's um, it's just it's plateaued and, and rolling backwards. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see it. And no, no coaching changes right out of Stanford this year. He still has the, the defensive coordinator. Yeah. Yeah, yep. that's, I, I just find that um, that that that's very sad. i know they need they need an injection of energy and like i don't know like i really like david shaw um just makes me bummed out that like he's not willing to make those changes okay let's move to oregon state here and they come in uh right under stanford and they are at 2.73 so a a decent drop off between stanford and and colorado state and rob a really small class class here uh Really, the, the gem being like a high three star Demir Collins, a running back out of Portland. Um, they did get a player out of Mission Viejo. Um, you know some players out of uh, Utah, California, Texas, Camus, Washington, where I live. Rob, we gotta I gotta go check out this guy here, Mr. Jake Blair. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, um, hard to recruit to Oregon State, and they they tend to bring in some transfers.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think they really looked at, you know, and Smith looked at the the holes he was going to have on his roster and I, I would expect them to, to be pretty active on the transfer market, um, you know, for sure with the, you know, only signing 11 high school players in this class, um, you know, and, and Smith and his, his staff have done really well, um, you know, out on the transfer market, you know, uh, up to this point. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to, I think that I do think that Smith and his staff do a really good job of identifying talent and, and, and coaching it up. You know, so I, I think this I think this class could sort of work, but yeah, it's a it's a real small class. It you, when you see a class of this size for a program you know still has some roster spots available, like Oregon State does, you know Smith, you know, I think really planned to make some moves at the transfer portal.
1: Let's hope he does. Let's hope he does because, because it's the it's a, it is, a, it is, it is what it is. They, they do have a guy named Orion Meale-Kafusi, who has a great name. Um, I do know that Easton uh, uh, Mascarinas was a linebacker at Mission Viejo that was um, really sought after by Arizona, a couple other schools too. So Oregon State was able to go into Southern California and pick out somebody um, that was on a borderline. You know, I think, I think rivals might actually have him as a four star. So um, that's great. But at the end of the day, I mean, it is... Um, you know, we'll see. This is going to be all player development. And and I think we're, we've kind of hit the wall right where it's <laughs> I don't think there's going to be oh, yeah. uh, any anybody bursting off of the pages from now on. Right.
0: No, no, this is nobody. Is, nobody's going to jump out and get
1: you. <laughs> all right. Let, let's go to Colorado, who recruited a lot more players than Oregon State. Um, you know, a lot of them, the lower two star, lower three star types of players. But they did uh, get a nice tight end. And Eric Olson, you know, that that. Um, West Coast offense uh, The Carl Durrell loves the tight ends. So it'd be nice to see them integrate him at a Littleton, Colorado, four-star kid. Um, a couple high three-star guys and Chase Perry out of uh, Colorado and uh, Tyus Martin, who's a defensive tackle, which is good. Nice to see them get like a nice big body that hopefully can plug yeah. the middle because th- their defensive line was actually pretty good last year.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I thought, I, I thought their defense was decent. I actually liked their defensive coordinator, uh, hire that they've made hiring their, uh, their former defensive line coach. He was good when he was in Mississippi state. Uh, it's been a little while since he had coordinator duties, So, um, I was a little surprised when they did make the move from, from summers, but, um, you know, I, I think that there's still some room for enthusiasm about what they've got going on defense.
1: Yeah. And you know, the one thing that's a bummer, like Colorado is such a beautiful campus. Um, I, I love, I love that. I think it's, I mean, Stanford's my favorite. Stanford is like, and it's not close, but, but Colorado is number two. And the problem is like the state isn't that big. So it's really hard for this kind of like Utah, right? Where I think even Utah has a little bit more talent than Colorado does. Um, Colorado needs to get creative. So it's California, it's Texas, it's all over the place. And it's interesting. I, w- I always just love looking where people went. So they went to Florida, Texas, Alabama, Arkansas, um, North Carolina, Iowa. I mean, like they were all over the place trying to to build this class, and it's really Carl Durrell's first class. So let's uh, let's give it a little bit more time. He certainly exceeded expectations, but um, you know, didn't didn't do didn't do much to like really pop up quickly. But um, but you know, he he has a little bit of time to build the program.
0: I mean, I think if there's one knock, it is, I mean, it is it is a little bit of a disappointment versus the class that they signed the year before where you really felt like, and I don't know that Mel Tucker had a lot of momentum on the football field And we certainly talked about that the the momentum for Tucker seems to be more in recruiting than it was on the field, but you know, not a, you know, for Colorado, not a bad class. I'm, I'm not surprised that they didn't go to, I mean, they signing 18 players that definitely leaves them, you know, with some room, I think for them to be able to take some transfers on. Um, and you'd certainly expect them to, um, you know some of the losses they've had, as well as I mean, uh, you, you kind of feel like they, you know, they didn't sign a you know a big time quarterback. Um, they definitely feel like they have some you know an opening there for for a quarterback to transfer in.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see what happens there. Um, and I think we covered their transfer stuff. If not, we'll we'll make sure to cover it next week. Um, I know we're running a little long. We have two more um, teams left. Actually, let's do one more break, and then we'll we'll get to the end, and um, and then we'll we'll keep rolling. All right, we're back. Let's talk Washington State. Let's talk Washington State. Rolovich comes in on his first year, his first recruiting class here, lands a uh, four-star wide receiver at a Dodge Iowa, of all places, 6'5", 180 C.J. Moore. Uh, a couple
0: that's a big high- get. I mean, yeah. that's a big get. Going into Big 12 and Big 10 country and going out and signing a four-star 6'5 guy, that's a get.
1: I don't trust wide receivers taller than 6'4", but that's okay. That's another story. That's another story.
0: <laughs> whoa, whoa. Too much time under Rich Rod for you, my friend.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, no, no, it's great. And, like, obviously the um, the system that he has, I think, will be able to recruit some nice wide receiver talent um, and, uh, and some quarterback talent. They went off and got Xavier Ward out of California, um, a high three-star kid who's uh, one of the quarterbacks that will be competing for the job, um, and then uh, a, a high three-star linebacker out of Utah, I think one of the interesting things here, Rob, was I was really excited about the ability, possibly, of, of Rolovich to go into the islands again and just try to, to bring in that pipeline. Didn't really happen this time. They did get a wide receiver out of Hawaii, but that was the only player they got from uh, the islands to come to uh, the Palouse this year. Um You know, and like, and outside of that, it's basically all three-star talent. We'll see, you know, again, it's all player development. Can they, can they find the right people? Can they build them up? Um, So again, like the other thing we mentioned with the other schools, nothing's really going to jump out here. Although I I thought it might be possible that they could sign another high level uh, quarterback, but Jaden Delora kind of scares some people off. I'm assuming.
0: No, Garantano too. They go out on the transfer from Tennessee had been the starter of Tennessee. So
1: that's right. That's right. Good call.
0: Um, And Delora just got a DUI and is suspended. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it is not. It is not a dull moment up at the
1: police. Um, and, and my apologies to our listeners. So again, like, it just started my own business. So I've like been off Twitter, um, for the last like week and a half. And so, um, I will get I'll get back in the groove here. It's the off season here at Twelve Pack Radio, but I promise I'll be catching up here. Uh, not not a great sign. Not a great sign. Um, I'm glad everybody's okay. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll see what the uh, competition there is. Um, at Washington State. Uh, anything else here on, on this, you know, I, I always think, I always find it fascinating where Washington state recruits from, um, you know, it's a lot of California. Um, yeah. They, they got the Melbourne kicker, Rob, uh, of course, you know, going all the way across the world to get the kickers and they got that Australian guy. I don't know. That, that's kind of, that's kind of all, that's kind of all I got right now. No, I mean,
0: I think with this Washington state, you know, class, you're looking at it and thinking like, all right, like, I mean, they did sign a lot of high, a lot of high school players. I mean, the, the the one four star they got is really interesting. But like, I mean, it's he's going to come in like the like Washington State. We talked about this for like you know schools like Arizona. Like their four stars have to produce, right? Like you really got to turn those guys in if if they really are you know correctly rated. And you know for Washington State, like they they you know they've got to cash in. You know, they I think that they have you know like some potential. I think the scheme is good. I like the defensive coordinator hire they made. I think they, you know, they have some potential up there, but, um, you know, I would expect for most of these guys, we're not going to see them play, you know, for a year or two at least.
1: Oh sure, yeah, I absolutely agree. They, and, and right along those lines, they signed a 250-pound defensive tackle, <laughs> so he's certainly not see it. <laughs> unless unless you're uh...
0: here is your 6,000-calorie-a-day diet. See me in a couple.
1: Yeah, unless you're uh, Mataafa, I, I, I don't think you're going to see the field uh, for yeah. a while. All right, la- last team here uh, is the Arizona Wildcats, and we were just talking about how, like, you know, always grab onto those like you know, 5.7, those high level three stars like, Oh, that's super. That's super. We got one. Um, Arizona did not get one, Rob, not, not one in this class. Um, they are the lowest ranked, uh, you know, uh, recruiting class in the PAC 12 at 2.61 average. Um, no high three star players, um, a lot of transfers coming in here, but really like, I'm just like, I don't really have much to say about this class. Um, you know, they, they, um, they did, they did go into California a little bit. They got JT hand out of mission Viejo. They got, um, <laughs> like I'm, I'm reaching man. <laughs> I don't know. Help me no, out. Here, I Rob. Mean,
0: if, if you're in Arizona, like you got, you know, like you had fish coming in, you know, you, you like, and you know, his, his staff, you know, they were really hitting the ground. I mean, they lost, they lost their, their, uh, freshman quarterback, you know, their, their, their high school quarterback. They were looking to sign Clay Millen. I think he ended up signing with Nevada. You know, some of the guys that were some of the more highly rated three stars in this class ended up moving on, you know, but they've, you know, they've been very active on the transfer. I mean, if you're an Arizona fan, the upside is on the transfer market, Um, former four star at Notre Dame, uh, you know, uh, Rutherford, uh, a defensive back that they likely think will start. Um, the former MAC Defensive Player of the Year linebacker is coming in as a grad t- transfer. He won't need a waiver. You know the the Harris, the other Harris brother, the one that was the four star the Colorado signed last year. He's transferring into the program. I mean, like most of, most of the enthusiasm, I think, if you're Arizona, is is around the the transfers coming in. They have two quarterbacks transferring and one uh, a cruise from Washington State. Um, and the other McLeod from uh, South Florida. Like, there's just, there's not a lot of, there's, there's absolutely no pop or sizzle uh, in this class. All of these players will likely, you know, not, you will not see any of these names for at least two years if you see them yeah. <laughs> in Arizona.
1: You never know, you never know. But yeah, I. I um, That's true. I'm not, like, yeah, not bullish on, on yeah. this group, but. No,
0: I mean like the, the names. That he, like if you're going to watch out for, it, like maybe Colby Cage. You know, like they are a little thin at defensive back. He's a, he was a decently rated defensive back coming out of New Orleans. Rocker, you know, like if they do any rotation at running back, maybe Rocker sees the field. He's a a local Tucson kid that was a a reasonably highly rated three star for
1: this class. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's stop it here. I know we were going to talk about the Washington defensive coordinator, but we're we're going on an hour and twenty. So um, let's pick up this conversation with him. We have some transfer news that we can cover. And then of course we have the beta rank projection. So lots of really good stuff Ooh. to go through. I know, like I'm super excited. That, that was like an unexpected, like, oh, <laughs> hooray.
0: I oh, know, uh, it's real. like when I, when I was going through it, I, I like, I, I rent out a server on Google's cloud and I, uh, I, code, I, I code, I SSH tunnel in and like code on the black screen, like using Linux. I was like creating a new directory under the college football directory that I, you know, keep the stuff under. And I was like, make a new directory called 2021.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Well, we'll have lots of stuff to go through on that. Um, it's always nice to see what the projections are um, as we as we go through the dregs of the offseason. But um, there's always stories that pop up. So we will continue to uh, do those. And again, our thanks to Nextiva for continuing this coverage throughout the off offseason. Very excited to be able to continue covering the conference. And we will catch everybody uh, either this week or next week. Uh, Rob and I got to figure out our schedules here, but uh, more coming soon.